0: Well, good morning. Glad you guys are here this morning. Uh, this morning we are back in the parables of Jesus. If you remember, we've been working through some of the parables of Jesus through the summer months. and uh, We're not going to, of course, get through all of them this summer because summer is almost over. But, but we find ourselves today in the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Um, so that's what we're going to be looking at. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 49 is where we will begin, and then we'll head on down to verse 23 of chapter 13 in the book of Matthew. So if you have your copy of God's Word, whether that be on your phone or you got a Bible, a physical copy, um, open that, turn to it, follow along with us this morning as we work through this text. Uh, This is quite a lengthy bit of text, so I'm not going to read it all before we begin. So let me go to the Lord in prayer. We'll read through the message, we'll read through the text as we work through the message this morning. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity for us to gather together, Lord, to open your word, to, to read from it, to to hear from it, to to learn from it, God. And as we look at this parable here this morning, the parable that, that Jesus spoke to the crowd and, and even in private to His disciples, God, help us to understand, what it means help it help us to apply it to our own lives and this we pray in jesus name amen well counterfeits appear all over the place not too long ago i watched a show on netflix that highlighted counterfeit drugs that were coming out of mexico And so some drugs, if you think about it, I'm sure that many of you know, some drugs are very expensive or insurance doesn't pay all that much for that particular drug. And so people don't want to go without the drugs that they need in order to keep themselves alive or or to improve their health. But they also don't want to spend a whole lot of money for this or maybe they don't have money to spend for these drugs or they don't have insurance or insurance is just still too much. And so what they would do is they'd take medical vacations. Medical vacations down to Mexico, they cross over the border, they go to some of the pharmacies that are there, right over the border in Mexico, and they pick up whatever drug it is that they need. You see, in Mexico, you don't need a prescription to get pills like you do here, right? Whatever the doctor prescribes, whatever it is that you think that you need, you can go to the pharmacy, you can pick it up, and, you know... It, it, it is sometimes and oftentimes much cheaper than it is here. But you can't, you can't do that here, right? You can't just go to the pharmacy. You can't pick up whatever drug it is that you think that you need. Um, there are reasons for that there there's regulations right we're not doctors we often don't know exactly what is best for us even though a lot of times we think that we know what is best for us and we get online and we get on WebMD or something like that and we punch in all of our symptoms, and it tells us what we have and we think you know we're either in the best health ever or we're about to die and so we need to run out and we need to get this drug that's gonna solve this crazy mysterious you know thing that we have going on and then we go to the doctor, and they're like, oh, you're, you're fine. Nothing's, nothing's wrong with you. You actually don't need any medication, right? See, we are not doctors, and so this is why we have doctors. This is why we go to the doctors. This is why we put our trust in others. And there's this system of checks and balances that come with our health care that comes with, with our drugs, not so in Mexico. Get whatever it is that you want much cheaper. But with deregulation comes danger. And this is what this particular show was about, right? The cartels in Mexico have caught on uh, to the fact that people are taking these medical vacations, that they're coming across the border, that they're getting all of these different medicines uh, that they, they can't get in the States for the price that they want. And so they start counterfeiting these actual medications. And you walk into the pharmacy and you look and you see the box, you, you look at the pill, everything looks the same. Now some of them are, are much better than others, but, but the ones that are really good, they look just like the pill or just like the box that you might purchase here in the States at the pharmacy. But these, counterfe- these drugs are counterfeits, right? And the only way to know that, that they're a counterfeit is to take the drug and see how your body responds, which is really not the best idea, or to send it off to a lab and get it tested, which kind of defeats the purpose of getting cheap drugs. You see, good counterfeits can only be exposed through proper testing. And that's not only true of prescription drugs found in Mexican pharmacies, but also in other areas of life, including our spiritual life. You see, counterfeit spirituality can look a lot like true biblical conversion. A counterfeit Christian can show signs of the real thing in their life. They might present like someone who is on fire for Jesus, whose life is changing, whose life is is being turned around. They might praise the Lord. They might tell others about Him. They might come to worship service. At times they might even find themselves in church leadership. But then something happens. Something happens in their life and you never see them again. I know we've all experienced that. We've all sat next to someone. We've all been discipling or mentoring someone who we thought was a true convert, and then we watched them fall away. And when that occurs, we're left wondering, well, well what just happened? We, we, we might have been so sure that, that Jesus was changing their life, but the next thing we know, they're walking away from the Lord, and they're not walking with Him anymore. When someone seems like they are a true believer and they fall away, how do we make sense of that? And how do we test ourselves to see if we are the real deal or a counterfeit? Well, Jesus provides us a test and explanation in this, in this text leading up to the parable and the parable. And so first, how do we know if we are part of the family of God? At the end of chapter 12 Here, Jesus' family comes to bring him home. Jesus is, has been out, he's been teaching, he's been preaching, he's been healing, he's been exercising demons, he's having all kinds of encounters with the Pharisees. He's stirring them up against him. They, they have decided that they want to get rid of Jesus to destroy him. And here comes his family coming to bring him home. Now, it's not apparent or clear from the text if they know that the Pharisees are after him or not. Maybe they just miss Jesus. Maybe they're thinking, well, what is Jesus doing? Why is he out here doing all this stuff? We haven't seen him in a while. There's kind of various reasons why they could be coming to take Jesus home, but nevertheless, they come to bring Jesus home. They're outside of the house that he is teaching, and someone says, hey, your family is outside, and they want to speak to you. They they want to be with you. And instead of walking out to, to greet them, to see what's going on, look at what jesus says in verses 49 and 50 of matthew chapter 12 stretching out his hand towards his disciples he said here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother and i believe this this verse is key to us understanding who is a part of jesus's family it is a key test for us, right Jesus tells us that those who are a part of His family don't just know Him intellectually. They aren't just emotionally connected to him, but they are those who do the will of the Father, not His earthly Father, but His heavenly Father. Jesus' disciples are those who obey the Father, who live according to the Father's will. Now, how about you? Do you seek to live according to the Father's will? Are you allowing God's Word to provide you with with guidance on decisions that you are making, on the ways in which you are conducting yourself on a daily basis? Do you trust God with your future? Do you think of Him as a loving and caring Father or as just this hard taskmaster? And you can also apply that same test to others who are close to you. Do do those around you who profess faith in Christ, do they desire the things of God? Do they desire to live according to God's will and to bring Him glory with their life? How do you live? How are those around you living? This is a test that we can use, that the Bible gives us to see if the faith that we have, if the faith of those around us is a true faith or a counterfeit faith. There are certainly other tests that we can apply. 1 John is a good book that you can look at and you can see all kinds of different tests that you can apply to see if you're a true believer, if those around you are true believers or not. But do you seek the will of God? It's not solely intellectual agreement. It's not solely this emotional high that we should be after. It is living as if God is real to us. It is living as if God is is the one who is directing our life each and every single day. Those are the ones who are part of God's family. Now, we can employ this test, and we, we, we have all known those people who, who seem like they're part of the family if we employ this test to them, right? They, they seem like they're the real deal. They seem like they're on fire for Jesus. They seem like they're chasing after Him, that they're they are living the way that God's Word says. Maybe they've even come to you, and they say, what do you think God's Word would say that I should do in this particular instance, right? They're seeking out God's will. But for one reason or another... They, they quit doing that. They quit living according to God's will. They quit striving for the Lord and seeking His glory and they walk away from the faith. What do we make of them? How do we process what happened to those who seem like real believers who've just walked away? Why do those who seem to be a part of the family walk out on the family? This is where the parable of the four soils comes in. And it helps us to process why those who seem to be true believers, walk away. Look at verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and a great crowd gathered about Him, so that He got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. He told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds, they they fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, Jesus says, let them hear. So instead of going with his family, Jesus does the opposite. Jesus leaves the house, Jesus goes to the sea, and the crowd follows him. And there's a great crowd that is there. They're pressing against him so much so that he cannot teach them. And so Jesus gets in a boat. He goes just offshore, and the water is going to provide this natural sound system for Jesus. As it's going to, his voice is going to echo up the hill, and the people are going to be able to hear what Jesus says. And it is here where Jesus takes the opportunity and he begins to teach this parable the parable of the four different types of soil. And every resident there, you know, as we've talked about in the past, parables are those things that are familiar to people. Parables are those things that people know. Um, it's just everyday occurrences. And so everybody knows what's going to happen here with the farmer. Right? They're familiar with this. There's four different types of soil. He says, well, one is the guy goes out and sows. He sows on the path. And so he's walking around his field. There's this hard-packed path as he throws the stuff out. As he pulls it out of his bag, it, it falls on the path. And then he says some of the some of the soil it actually, or some of the seed, it actually ends up in the rocky ground. And then this isn't like chunks of rock like we might be thinking about, but but the soil there is actually pretty shallow. There's this bedrock underneath it. And so the, the seed falls there. It's able to take root. It springs up because the that area warms up faster than the rest of the crop that has been, or the rest of the seeds that have been put out there. And so this is maybe an area that springs up even quicker than than the other areas of the field. But as the season goes on, as it gets hotter, there's no depth to the roots there, and so they're scorched, and that crop dies. Another among the thorns, they, they spring up as well. But the thorns come in and it chokes them out, and so that crop dies. But eventually there is you know, some seed that is sown in, in the good soil. I mean, you didn't think a farmer is going to sow in the seed with no good soil, and so there is good soil that is there. And this seed, it takes root, it springs up, and there's even this bumper crop that occurs. Some, some 30, some 60, and even 100-fold this crop produces. And this practice, what happened to this crop, is something that those would know about. It would be familiar to them. But Jesus, again, is not just taking what is familiar and telling it back to the crowd who's come and, and, and thronged around Him so much so that He has to get in the boat. No, He has a purpose. He has a reason for telling us this he wants us to understand why some follow him and some don't why some follow him for a while and then some walk away and so why do those who seem to be a part of the family walk out on the family well in the parable the the seed represents the gospel and jesus comes and jesus sows the gospel seed the gospel was referred to here as the word of the kingdom The good news is that the King has come. The King has come who is going to set up another kingdom, a kingdom that is unlike any kingdom that this world has seen. There is no death, there is no disease, there is no injustice, heartache, there is no sin at all in this kingdom that Jesus is coming. It is a perfect kingdom. But only those who are perfect can enter into the kingdom. And the problem is is that none of us are perfect. Perfect. We are all sinners who have rebelled against God. And because of that, we are not able to enter into the kingdom. But Jesus has come. He has not only brought the kingdom, but Jesus has come to make a way for us to enter into the kingdom. And He does so by paying our debt. Jesus goes and He he dies on our behalf. You see, the wages of sin is death and Jesus takes those wages for us. And all those who believe in Him, all those who believe that His death is our death, that His righteousness is our righteousness, will receive Jesus' death as our death and His righteousness as our righteousness. And then we are able to enter into this perfect kingdom to come that Jesus is bringing. A kingdom that, that had come in part when, when Jesus arrived. You see, Jesus brings the kingdom, but not the kingdom in full. It comes in part when Jesus arrives. But when Jesus comes back, He will bring the kingdom, the complete kingdom. That's the good news. That's the seed that, that Jesus is, is sowing. And if you notice, Jesus sows this gospel message indiscriminately to the crowds. All of those who are following Him, all of those who are out there who are listening, Jesus is sowing this message to them. He's not holding it back from this group or that group to every group, this gospel message is being sowed and some reject his teaching some accept it, and others accept it for a while and then they walk away and so what do we make of that well the parable teaches us that there are four responses to the gospel and the first response is the response of the impenetrable heart and really the heart is the key here right the heart represents the soil as we see here there are four different types of soil four different types of hearts that are represented in this particular Parable, And so if we look at the soils again, first we see the first soil is the path that represents the impenetrable heart. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Again, everyone hears the gospel that the kingdom is has come that Jesus has brought the kingdom, a kingdom that is drastically different than any kingdom of this world, a kingdom we can only enter in by believing that Jesus is the Messiah who has paid the price for our sins in order to restore our relationship with the Father. The people who represent the path, they hear the Gospel. Jesus tells us it's not a hearing issue though, it is an understanding issue. They hear, but they don't understand understand. And the reason they don't understand has nothing to do with the language barrier. It has nothing to do with the cultural barrier. The people are there. The people are able to hear what Jesus is saying. They hear Him, but they don't understand His teaching regarding the kingdom. And they don't understand, they don't grasp that the Messiah has come. That they they see what they see in front of them. That what they hear Him saying is the words of the Messiah, is the actions of the Messiah. And because... They don't grasp that that is the Messiah, that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior of the world, the one that they've been waiting for. They don't believe. They reject Him. Their heart is as hard as a path that has been trampled by a thousand footsteps. The heart is impenetrable. And the heart, if you remember, represents our intellect. It represents our emotions. It represents our, our will. They refuse to allow the gospel to penetrate their hearts so that it affects how they think, how they feel, and how they act. They hear what Jesus is saying, but they flat out reject what He says. Their heart is hardened to the gospel message. And this represents both religious and secular society, right? They have an idea of who the Messiah should be, what salvation looks like. I mean, just think of any gospel that we could think of today, any good news of salvation that we could think of. One, or, one of the most popular ones that we hear about is, is you know, uh, uh, that we are to be mindful. That we are to, to be able to be in control of our emotions and our, and our thoughts. That we are to calm ourselves through, through times of meditation breaks throughout the day. Now, there's nothing wrong with us not being anxious. There's nothing wrong with us trying to alleviate stressful situations in our lives. But oftentimes the way that this occurs and the way that people are seeking salvation from those things is, is through self-talk and self-motivation. It's not through believing in the Gospel. It's not through trusting in God. That's not the way they put away their anxiety and, and their stress. It's not through believing that they are more accepted in Jesus than, than, than anything that society could ever give. It's through self-talk. It's through self-salvation. It's through self-help. That is a huge false gospel. A counterfeit gospel. And those who believe the gospel or any other gospel besides the biblical gospel, they, they hear the gospel, but they reject it. The true gospel because they are believing this other gospel. It doesn't look like the gospel that they want to believe. They want it to be a counterfeit gospel, and Jesus is not coming with the counterfeit gospel, and so they reject the gospel. And their heart is hardened because of what we see here in verse 11. In verses 10 through 17, they, they provide us with a lot of guidance when, it, when we're looking at Jesus' explanation of the parable. You know, There's a reason why... This explanation here in 10 through 17 is sandwiched between Jesus' teaching to the crowds and Jesus' explanation of the parable beginning in verse 18. And so we have to look at what 10 through 17 is telling us in order to really understand this parable. In verse 10, Jesus' disciples ask, Well, why are you speaking in parables? The implied implied idea is that parables are difficult to understand. Wouldn't it be so much easier, Jesus, if you would just speak to them in, in a way that they would understand? Parables are difficult to understand. Why are you speaking in parables? Look at Jesus' response. Verse 11, He answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. And then He goes on even to say, in verse 12, "...for to the one who has, more will be given, and, for, and he will have an abundance, but for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away." This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he quotes this prophecy from Isaiah. And this word understand here in this sentence is the same word that we see down in Verse 19. They hear, but they don't understand, we're told down in verse 19. And Jesus tells the disciples that they have been given the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom, but the ability to know the secrets of the kingdom has not been given to them, those outside of the disciples there. The Father has given it to the disciples, but He hasn't given it to those who are not following Him. And to know, which is, which is this word, ginosko in the Greek, it, it means to come to an understanding... It means to perceive. It means to comprehend. And to know what? Well, to know the secrets of the kingdom. When we think of the word secret, we often think of something that is is hidden that, that others are trying to find. And some people are able to discover it while other people are not able to discover it because they have looked harder than somebody else. Think about an investigative journalist. And they're able to uncover all of these deep, dark secrets of of these celebrities that are out there. And they're able to uncover those secrets of those celebrities because they dug harder. They they pressed harder. They were after the truth. And they were able to uncover it because they looked hard enough. Well, that might be one of the ways that we often think of this word secret. That's not the way it's being used here. The secrets of the kingdom do not represent that which someone sought to uncover, but but they could not uncover because they just didn't look hard enough. They represent those things that were hidden that were unmanifested. They are the things that remain hidden until God reveals them. And God is the only one who knows them and God is the only one who is able to reveal them. This is the idea behind this word here, secrets. The secrets of the kingdom, again, is that Jesus, the very God, soul, son of the Father, has come to earth to bring the kingdom in an upside-down way. Not through force, but He's come through sacrifice. To show that He is bringing the kingdom, He has been teaching and performing many mighty works in front of these people to show that He is the Messiah. And they have rejected that. But those whose hearts are represented by the impenetrable soul, they reject Jesus, and that's because they haven't been given the ability to know, to understand the secrets of the kingdom even though they see Jesus doing all of these things, even though they hear Jesus, even though they are right there with everybody else standing right next to them, hearing and seeing the same miracles and hearing the same message, they refuse to believe. As we see in verse 15, "...for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears..." And understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Because they don't understand, they reject Jesus' message of salvation. And the result is that they they close themselves off. They dull their hearts, they close their eyes, they they close their ears to Jesus' message. They refuse to turn to Jesus and accept Him as their Messiah, to believe that He is the Messiah. And so they are not healed. Because the gospel message sits on the surface of this impenetrable heart. Satan, who is the deceiver, is able to continue to deceive them. He steals this message away and he continues to sow deception in their lives so they do not give another thought to the gospel. that's the first group, right? They're absolutely closed off to the gospel because God has not softened their heart and they turn from Jesus, hardening their hearts even more to the true gospel, which results in Satan continuing His deceptive work in their life. The second soil, the rocky soil, they represent the emotional heart. Look at what Jesus tells us about them in verses 20-21. to As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the Word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the Word, immediately he falls Away. And the rocky soil represents the emotional heart. Right? Whereas the first soil was absolutely impenetrable, the gospel is able to work its way into the heart of the second soil, and it works its way into the heart of the second soil on this emotional level. Right? They, they receive it with, with joy. And the people hear the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, they get, they get all excited about what they have heard, what, what they are seeing. Some way, somehow, this message has, has, has tugged at their emotions. In the moment, they had this feeling, they had this emotional response to the gospel message. Maybe maybe it's a youth camp. You're there, all your friends, the music's playing, you have this whole week of reflecting on God, and and you have this emotional response, and you run down to the front, and you're crying. Maybe it's at a revival, the same thing occurs. Or maybe you just come on a Sunday, and, and a particular message touches your heart, and you have this emotional response because of what they're feeling. And they respond. And they respond in a positive way, we see. But the problem is here is that, that there's not much depth. That There really is, is no desire to grow and, and really to understand God's Word, nor is there any really obedience to God's Word. It is just all about the emotions. It's all about the feeling. It's all about the experience to them. The positive vibes that, that Christianity gives off. These are the people who are always chasing that spiritual high from one church to another, from one event to another. It's all just manufacturing this spiritual high for them. As long as there's this feeling, as long as there's this spiritual high that is occurring, well, they're for Jesus. Jesus is their King. Jesus is their Lord. They'll tell you all about Jesus. But nothing kills a spiritual high like tribulation and persecution that's related to belief in jesus and when that persecution comes the the spiritual high all of a sudden disappears the emotions that they that they got when they heard about jesus and encountered him well that just goes away and because the mind and the will are not engaged they end up falling away from the faith. It is no longer worth it. It's no longer beneficial to them to follow Jesus. Their safety, their status in the community is more important to them than being a part of Jesus' family and entering into His kingdom. So they choose the temporal over the eternal. This is why it's important that we're not just after emotionalism, that, that, we, that we truly dive into God's Word. That's not to say that we shouldn't have an emotional response to the Gospels we're going to see here in a moment with the last soil, but but if that's all that we're about, if it's just about that spiritual how to so we never desire to read God's word, we never gather together with anybody in Bible study, we're never after really understanding what the text says and understanding what Jesus has done for us, well, it may just be an emotional thing for us. With the feelings that we can get out of it. If we never want to follow God's will and we're just all after the the, the feeling, well. Maybe it's just an emotional thing for us. But we're benefiting from it in that way. Feelings fade when we're being attacked, though. And this attack doesn't have to be huge, right? It doesn't have to be like somebody is, is beating you up or, or somebody is threatening to kill you. I mean, it could just be the, the way that your friends look at you when you go and you tell them that, that you are now following Jesus. Jesus. Or or when something comes up at work and and you seek to take a stand for for Christ and people are really coming against you. Or, Or maybe people don't want to be your friend anymore because you say that you are a believer or you're attending that worship service down the street. And as soon as that stuff occurs for those who are just in it for the emotional experience, they walk away. And that's the second soil. It's all about... The spiritual high. It's all about the feelings. When the feelings fade because of persecution, suffering, they walk away. The third soil represents the idolatrous heart. And look at what Jesus reveals about this soil in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This group, again, doesn't outright reject the gospel. They aren't all about the feelings, getting getting caught up in the emotions of it all. That's not to say that the gospel, that the worship should not produce some feelings within us. It certainly should. But there's some depth in this group. This group, they they know God's word, They, they seem genuine like they're followers of Christ. They can quote Scripture to you, they're coming to the church on a regular basis, they're participating in Bible study. It's not just all about the emotions to them, but, but we're told that it is the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word, and it ends up being unfruitful. In other words, the idols are more important to them than Jesus. And we've talked about what an idol is in the past. is anything that comes between you and Jesus. It's anything that you believe that you can get satisfaction and purpose and joy and meaning and salvation from, apart from jesus it's that thing that that you worship instead of jesus and idols can be anything Idols can be things that are bad idols can be things that we might consider to be good things it could be your work now we certainly need to take care of our families i'm not advocating that we don't work We, we need to work but work might be your idol if it just consistently takes you away from gathering with other believers in christ Or maybe it doesn't take you away from gathering with other believers in Christ. You are here every single time that the doors are open. Work can still be your idol. Maybe at work you are not applying God's Word. You're not applying God's Word because you want to get ahead. You're not willing to take a stand for Christ. Maybe when things are more beneficial to you financially or or to get you ahead, you, you fudge a little bit. You, you sin, you, you lie, you act deceptively. You don't do what is right because you are wanting to get ahead. It's all about the next position. It's all about the next raise for you. If that's the case, your work might be your idol if you're choosing that over Christ and over what God's Word tells you to do. Maybe your recreation is your idol. You find yourself on the golf course and the fishing boat in the stands of a, of a game more than you find yourself in the pew or in a Bible study or gathering together with other believers. Or again, maybe you do show up each Sunday and every time the doors are open and you are gathering with other people, but, but you know more about the stats in the local sports team than you do about God's Word. People can ask you about some random player on some random team that's not even the Cowboys, and you can tell them exactly what it is that they are doing and how they're doing this year and what that looks like. And and you know more about your fantasy football league or your baseball league than you know about God's Word. There's an issue there. You're seeking more joy and meaning and purpose and satisfaction out of that than you are out of Christ, and that's become an idol to you. Or maybe money, status, or position is your idol. You're willing to do whatever it takes to keep them, to gain them even if it means acting contrary to God's Word. See, those whose hearts are thorny will choose their idol when there's a conflict between their idol and Jesus. They will obey their idol over obedience to Jesus. Whatever it takes to gain and keep that idol, they will do, they will submit to the idol's will over Jesus' will for their life. And this results in people being unfruitful, we're told here. Right? They don't really ever change. They're just stagnant. There's no fruit to, to speak of at all. Their, their affections, all of their time, all of their energy are given to serve this idol instead of Jesus. You see, if you've been coming to church your entire life, if you've been consistently a part of the church and there's no fruit in your life, There is no peace, there is no patience, there is no joy or kindness or goodness or self-control or gentleness or faithfulness or love. If these fruits are not evident in your life, if these fruits are not growing in your life, then you might be serving an idol rather than serving Jesus. If you don't know any more about God's Word today than than you do when you said that you were a believer in Jesus... Or you just know just the Sunday school lessons that you were taught as a kid and that's as deep and as far as you have ever gone. You might be representative of the thorny soil. You might be representative of the soil that was sown amongst the rocks. You might not be a true believer. Now that's not to say that every single person has to have this super deep knowledge of God's Word, right? People are gifted differently. I don't want to put that out there is is that what I'm what I'm saying but but there should be a love there should be a desire to learn and to understand and to live according to God's word there should be ability to pass that on to those around you we should all be disciple making disciples right? if we're not able to disciple another person in the faith well then there's an issue especially if we've been a a person who claims to be a Christian for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. There's an issue that is there. We're loving something else more than we're loving Christ. And eventually when a choice has to be made before Jesus and your idol, you will walk away from Jesus because you care more about that thing than you do about Jesus. That's the third soil. The idolatrous heart obedience to their idol is prioritized over obedience to Jesus. And finally we get to some good news here. The fourth soil, the good soil, represents the fertile heart. We finally get to the one who's a true believer. And so look at what the text says in verse 23. As for, the, that, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands that he indeed bears fruit and yields. In some, in one case, a hundredfold in another sixty and another Thirty. This person doesn't reject the gospel. Instead, they they believe the gospel. They understand its purpose. They understand its implications for their life. And if you notice, this is the only one that Jesus says understands the Word. Everybody else hears the Word. This is the only one that Jesus says understands the Word. They are the only ones who allow Jesus' message to penetrate their heart, to affect their mind, to affect their emotions, and to affect their will. They're not just in it for intellectual knowledge to prove that they're smarter than somebody else. They're not just a continual debater. Nor are they always after a certain feeling or or chasing after a spiritual high. And they don't obey the wishes of an idol. Living according to that idol instead of the Father. Instead they obey the Father's will for their life. They are seeking after that. They are part of the family as we looked at when we began. Instead, they are wholly engaged. They are engaged with their mind. They are engaged with their emotions. They are engaged with their will. They are always seeking to learn and understand more about God's Word and how they might apply it to their life and the community in which they live. They're discipling others for Christ. Their hearts are warmed by worship. Their affections are, are moved and drawn to Jesus. When, when we are singing about what Jesus has done for us, man, we should feel some affections. We should be drawn to Jesus. We should desire to praise Him. We should have some joy in our life. And they seek to obey the Father with their whole life. They don't hold any areas back. They don't say, God, you can have all of this, but this one area is mine. You can't have that with every single area of life. They don't come putting conditions on their spirituality. You can have me, but but my relationship with someone is going to be what I want. I'm going to have sex with who I want. I'm going to do with what I want. There's no condition that is put there. It's you can have me and whatever it is that you say is right and good, God, I am going to follow you. They're wholly engaged with their whole self, mind, emotions, and will. Each are kept in check by God's word. This is the person who's a true believer the one who ends up being fruitful instead of fruitless. This is the one who will go the distance, who won't quit at the first sign of persecution, who won't allow an idol to draw them away. They will continue to follow Jesus, understanding that the gospel is the only message that saves. They are the ones who recognize Jesus as the Messiah because God has changed their heart. He has made it fertile to the gospel. He has given them the ability to comprehend the secrets of the kingdom. And as a result, they turn to Jesus for salvation and they experience healing. Without God's work, they would be like the soil on the path. They would be like the soil among the rocks and the soil among the thorns. They wouldn't give the gospel a second thought. They would allow persecution to drive them away. They would seek after their idols over Jesus. That is how man naturally responds to Jesus. But those whose hearts are fertile, they respond rightly as well as they respond as well as they recognize how blessed they are Look at the text in verse 16 But blessed are your eyes here's Jesus talking to the disciples they haven't rejected him blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear for truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. You see, if our hearts are fertile, we will recognize the blessing that God has poured out on our life. How fortunate we are, how privileged we are to sit at this moment in history. The prophets and the righteous men from long ago long, they desired to see the blessings of the Messiah who has come. They desired that, and we get to see that. We get to experience that. We get to experience the work of Jesus in our life. And not only that, but if our hearts are fertile, we will praise God for the salvation He has provided. We will rejoice at our understanding of the kingdom of God. We will long to know. We will long to understand more. We will allow those things to affect us. We will repent of our sins. We will turn to God on a regular basis. We will live as true family members of Jesus. We will recognize the blessing. We will praise God for the blessing that He has poured out in our lives. And so is your heart fertile? Do you understand the gospel? Has it affected your mind? Has it affected your emotions? Has it affected your will? Do you recognize the blessing that God has poured out in your life allowing you to understand the gospel? Do you praise God for the salvation that you have on a regular basis? Is your heart fertile? See, the parable of the sower reveals why some walk away. Their hearts are hard. They're just in it for the spiritual high where they worship and obey their idol over Jesus. And so when someone walks away from the faith, do not not lose heart. Don't lose faith in Christ. and said, pray for that person's salvation. Pray the Lord would soften their heart to the Gospel. Not only should we pray for them, but we should preach the Gospel to them. We should spread the Gospel indiscriminately to all. While at the same time, praying their hard, unfruitful, idolatrous hearts would become fertile soil in which the Gospel would take root and it would become productive. Yes, people walk away from the faith. But don't allow their, their actions to cause you to walk away from the faith. Instead, recognize how blessed you are. And praise God. Pray for them. And spread the gospel to all who will give a hearing. And that's how we can respond today. Right, you can respond by examining your life this morning to see if your faith is genuine or if it is counterfeit. And you can purpose to follow God with your entire life to spread the gospel indiscriminately and if you would admit today that that you are not a believer now is an opportunity for you to turn to christ instead of dulling your hearts and closing your eyes and closing your ears to the gospel now is an opportunity to put your true idols away and turn to the true savior or your false idols away excuse me and turn to the true savior to quit searching for your next spiritual high and find joy in Jesus. To quit being deceived by Satan and to turn to the true Savior who can provide you with true joy, true satisfaction, true purpose, true salvation. Now is an opportunity for you to respond, both believers and non-believers alike, to turn to the Messiah, the true Messiah, who is Jesus. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank You for this opportunity to open Your Word, to learn from it, Lord, to to help us, God. To either convict us or assure us of our own salvation, Lord. And I pray today, Lord, that that You would convict those who, who may be represented by some of these other soils. Even if they have been in church their entire life, they may find that they are not represented by the fertile soil here this morning. And God, may You... Convict them. May You change them so that today they would respond to the Gospel message, to the Gospel call that Jesus is their Savior. May they experience true joy and be fruitful for Him. And Lord, for those of us who are true believers, God, help us, Lord. Help us to continue to walk out the faith. Help us not to get frustrated. Help us not to to become jaded, Lord because others may walk away. But Lord, help us to be people who would go after them, who would seek them, who would spread the Gospel to them, who would call them to faith in Christ. And Lord, may You honor our work. May You use us as Your instruments to bring many to salvation, Lord. And this we pray in Jesus' name.